Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 5 and the last time we were in Romans uh, in chapter 4 we talked about saving faith and you know 2,000 years after Christ or roughly uh, there's just been so many rules and denominations and ideas and different ways of doing things and many of them are just style and that's fine but sometimes if you go from place to place and you ask well how do I get to heaven And sometimes you'll get an answer that's almost like a board game. You know, you take three steps forward, then you take two steps back, then you have to do this, give this amount of money, say this prayer. And it's sad because when you look in the Bible, it's very simple. It's called saving faith. You know, Abraham in the Old Testament was used as an example. He just believed God. He trusted God. And this righteousness was imputed or credited to him. Uh, Today's message is titled, The Benefits of Righteousness or justification, excuse me. Uh, What is justification? Well, we know that when we believe in Christ and the finished work he did on the cross, he paid for our sins. He took the penalty and the punishment for it so that we could have uh, eternal life, that we could have good fellowship with the Father, unencumbered. And this is justification, basically God declaring us righteous. We're not righteous because we're sinners, but when we trust in Christ's finished work on the cross, we take his identity, so to speak. So we are justified. We're declared righteous. Now, this is interesting because today's message, and we've been working this case through the last four chapters of Romans. What is the Ten Commandments for? What does it mean? How do I get saved? And the Apostle Paul's really made it very simplified for us. But today, in the message in Romans 5, is the benefits of justification is, you know, it's like when you go for a job interview, right? Well, what's the health care plan? What's the dental plan? You know, what's the pension, the 401k, right? And you see some head shaking. It's what you do. But here, that's just limited to here. When you die, all that stuff goes away. However, there's benefits of justification. There's benefits of a right relationship with God. So that's the exciting part of it. So if the first, uh, if the last few verses is why Jesus is the only way, in today's chapter, we're going to really cover why Jesus is the only way is so awesome. So I think you're going to really like this. We're going to break this up into five parts. Let's go through the scripture. This is, this Romans is like a treatise for Christians. This is a a doctrinal treatise. It's, it's logical. There's debate in here. There's so much in this book. Um, If you're new to the church and you, you, you know, this is something that you're pretty interested in, you can go on the website for free and get the last four chapters and get up to speed. So if we could jump in, in Romans 5, Starting with verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, this was looked at as one continuous letter, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Words are powerful. 
There's a reason why the Holy Spirit used the Apostle Paul to put certain words in here, and sometimes you'll find me emphasizing those words. Well, let's look at it. Benefit number one is peace with God. Right? Justification by faith. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it gets better. It says we have access, access into this grace in which we stand. Now, the word stand, when we look it up in the Greek, means to continue, actually to abide. And that reminds us of John 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. This relationship between Christ and his followers. So we stand in this. This is a continual thing. Uh, and it gets better. I'll, let me go back to access for a minute. If we could put up Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. This is in prayer, by the way. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Basically, we can come to God at any point. Three in the morning, six in the morning. There's no answering machines. Man, it's tough being on, you know, sometimes I call the utility companies and I just have to put the speakerphone down and do something else because it takes forever for them to get there. But that doesn't happen with God. We immediately, as we, as we look to him, as we turn to him, we're, we're jettisoned into his throne room and, and we can find grace and mercy in the time of need. He says that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is important, right? This, the Lord is going to return. We see this in Isaiah, just like he's come before. He's interfered with uh, human history and he will do it again. And this is opposed to the inglorious nature of the human race running the planet. Don't get too comfortable here, folks, because this is not it. This isn't going to last forever. Do we not see every world leader scrambling to solve the problems on the planet that they can't, they can't solve? Sinners can only do things for a certain amount of time, leaders. But wait till we get into the millennial kingdom where the Lord returns. It's going to be awesome. And we only have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Uh, through Jesus Christ, right? Before, and we're going to read this continuing in Romans, that... You know, born into this world, we have to be born again of the Spirit. Because the, the sinner, by nature, is at enmity with God. There's an animus between God and the sinner. But the Lord Jesus wants to change that in your life. He offers that free gift of salvation. We continue, verse 3. It says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. By the way, tribulations is like problems in your life. You know, things that come against you, uh, difficulties, right? So just keep that in mind. Knowing that tribulation in us produces perseverance or endurance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So benefit, too, is glory and tribulation. Now, folks, sometimes we have trouble with this. I mean, seriously, who, who gets up in the morning and goes, gee, I can't wait to run into some really bad tribulation so I could just glory in it, so I can rejoice. Let me tell you something, I don't do that. <laughs> so, uh, and when it comes, we deal with it, right? We, we go to the Lord, and, and we often find ourselves closer to the Lord when we go through difficult times and when everything's wonderful. And this needs to be said. 2,000 years of Christianity, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put this in here for a reason. Because, folks, if we're honest with ourselves, when we go through really deep trials, right, especially when somebody close to us, you know, stabs us in the back, worldly term, 
Uh, we, we sometimes feel forgotten. Well, what did I do wrong? I don't understand. Especially when you didn't do anything wrong and it happens. So this needs to be said. So glory and in tribulation. I've got to be honest with you. I don't always glory in tribulation. But when I do, it's freeing. Because I'm pretty much giving up my self-control or, or my control, trying to control the circumstances and letting God work in that situation. Now, i just give you an example. And in, you know, I'm an observer by nature, and it was last Sunday. I'm looking at the worship team, and I just watch things, and I ponder them, and they, they kind of go bounce around with all the marbles in my head for a while. But I'm looking at this worship team, and I'm thinking about teaching, right, before it happens, and I'm thinking about glorying in tribulation. This is the worship team, folks. They're up here to praise God, and they're up here to bring you into worship as well, to change the channel from the world from the world to be able to receive the word. And this is an open testimony because their names have been in the prayer request. I've got one singer who's dealing with cancer and treatment. I've got a bass player over there who was, uh, had an ileostomy. He had, he had col- uh, intestinal cancer, and they, they separated him from a while and put him back together. I had a gentleman over there who was playing the keyboards who had liver cancer. They took half his liver out, and they weren't sure if he was going to make it. And I had a drummer back there who I remember seeing him in the hospital. He got some person T-boned him, went through a red light, and they said, we don't even know if he's going to make it through the night. Uh, Well over 10 years, Tommy's still here. It's an amazing thing. So I'm looking at this worship team and I'm saying, you know, a lot of ministries look for the lights and the excitement and, you know, infusion of making the hair stand up on the back of your neck, which is more entertainment than anything. And I'm looking at my worship team and I'm thinking, Lord, you're amazing. And and you know what? I forgot the other singer who had her appendix burst and the poison was in here for her for a while and the doctors didn't know it until weeks later. And And they said, wow, you're lucky to be alive. So here I am looking at this worship team and I'm thinking about glorying in tribulation. And you know what? Throughout their difficulties, they were still praising God. So this is when, when the scripture comes alive in your heart and your lifestyle. When, it, when it's not just a word on a page, but you actually live through it. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There is an avalanche of spiritual and psychological fulfillment when we obey God's word. You might say, well, he's overcome the world. It doesn't, seem, it doesn't look like it. You're not seeing what he's doing behind the scenes. He destroyed sin and death so that we all could have access to eternal life. And in the months prior to uh, the Nazis giving up, we were still losing American soldiers. And it didn't look like we were necessarily winning, but we did win. So it's the same thing. There's a spiritual battle that's going on that Christ has has won. We just have to let everything play out and let God work everything out in his timetable. Very exciting to look at that. And a lot of times what we have to do, again, is is to let go of our self-will and our desire to control everything and then let God work in our lives. Sometimes we get in his way. He's given us free will. We can get in his way. And he might just be sitting back and saying, I'm just waiting just wait until you let, trust me and let me do the work. So continuing on, look at this logical pro- progression. So the tribulation as a believer, it leads to perseverance. It leads to endurance, right? There's a worldly expression, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, and, and that's true to a certain extent. You can either just give up or you can keep going. And as a Christian, what happens is per, uh, tribulation produces this perseverance 
that keeps you going, this endurance. And this produces character or approved and tested character. So character, what does the world think of character? What, how do we elect politicians? Are they, is it because they speak well or they, they look a certain way or they're friends with certain people? Or do we look at character, sometimes it's hard to find it in the political world, uh, as someone who's a godly person, right? This is, you know, you show me a person who's lived a sheltered life all their life and I'll show you a, tr- a shallow person. You know, trials produce depth. So you see this logical progression. It gets very interesting. It's almost like going through this, this difficult conduit or this tunnel until we get to the other side. So we continue. We continue. Character produces hope. Now, before I jump into that, patience, right? Endurance. It, it, this, this, some of these things just kind of stick out to me. Some people say, I want more patience. I want to be able to endure more. You might get tribulation <laughs> for that to happen. Sometimes as humans, we're, we're stubborn, and it, it takes difficult circumstances to actually produce these good things in us, right? But character produces hope. How? Because we yearn for more of the Lord. We yearn to see his future creation and his future glory. And that type of hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He sustains us. Amen? All right. (laughs) So tribulation. Um, Well, in Latin, the word is tribulum. Tribulum in that first century time period was this big piece of wood and they would drive spikes through it and they would take the tribulum and they would they would run it through their fields the farmers and the tribulum would separate the wheat from the chaff all these illustrations jesus taught us in the gospels the wheat from the chaff are we a truly a believer or we just call ourselves a christian for some type of cultural reason you know also the wheat and the chaff in our own hearts God's not done with me. I'm sure in the next week or month or year, I'm going to go through something else again. And God's going to allow those tribulations to, to test me, to try me, and to change me. When we say, I can't change, I don't have the ability, we put ourselves in a really bad position. Because God needs us to change so that he can use us more. Verse 6. It says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the wonderful. No, actually that word says he died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps, perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So three, benefit number three is, is God's love for the undeserving, the ungodly. Or the ones that were unable to save themselves, which is us, which is sinners. Sometimes uh, people don't understand the scripture. And if you're new to the Bible, they'll say, well, what's with some of you Christians? What are you, self-loathers? You hate yourself? You call yourself a sinner? You call yourself undeserving? No, 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 no. There's, there's facts of the matter. We're born into a natural world and we sin. We separate ourselves from God by our behavior and our thought life and really who we are as a human race. But the good news is sometimes you have to go really, really, really low to understand the truth, to make that comparison. If everybody thought that they were wonderful and you would preach Jesus to them, they'll be like, what do I need Jesus for? It's good for you. I don't need Jesus. We have to understand the human condition, the, the depravity 
of our sinful nature to understand the good news of Christ. He says that we see that even perhaps someone would die for a good person, and that happens. But who would die for a killer? Who would die for a dictator? Jesus Christ died for everyone. Now, what's very important is this isn't universalism that uh, Pastor Rob Bell preaches in his book, Love Wins, that in the end, everybody just goes to heaven. It doesn't work like that. God has given us free will. We make a choice to choose life or to choose to stay where we are and be judged on our sins. But the opportunity is given for everyone, everyone in the world, the Bible tells us. You know, Jesus Christ offers us a free gift, but we can also refuse that free gift. You know, Calvinism's five points under L, limited atonement under Tulip, says that Jesus Christ, and this is sad, only died for some. That's really sad, because the Bible teaches us that Jesus died for all. If we could turn to 1 John 2, 2, it's very simple. John, speaking to other believers, speaking of Jesus, he says, He himself, Christ, is the propitiation. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's not done. And not for ours only, Christians. This isn't like an elite club, Christians. But also for the whole world. There's no limited atonement. Christ died for the world. Imagine him bearing all the sins of... It's unfathomable. You know, all the people who've ever lived, all the sins they've ever committed. But only God could do something like that. Verse 8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love... What does that mean? It means that his love is unusual. His love is out of this world. His love is unlike any human love. And that's a fact. Because human love, why do people who are married argue sometimes? Why do parents and children argue? Why do best friends fight and not talk to each other? Because they're sinners. Why do we not all just get along in this world? Because the world is racked by sin. You understand? But God's love is different. We can say, I love, but sometimes our love can be a selfish love. Maybe our love can be a bartering love. You know, I'll love you if you do this for me and vice versa. God's love is he demonstrates while we were still ungodly, while we were still at enmity with him, that he sends his son to die for the sins of the world. Who does that? Only God does that, right? More credence to Christ being deity. And folks... You know, we really, some of us have been very calloused by life, but we can receive God's love. You know, some of us actually won't let ourselves receive God's love. Some people here are harder on themselves than God could ever be. Some of us hold ourselves in a prison that God has never put before us. He's never put us in. So, you know, some of us can be harder on ourselves than any other, any other critic out there. Think about that. Let God come in. Let let him come into your life and love you. And you know what? When I say that word love, listen, we live in the East Coast in the 21st century. I get it. It's a rough place around here. Okay? I've I've been around a block a few times. And um, right away, the, the word love doesn't even, it doesn't register. Because we've built up so many walls in our hearts that we won't let the love come in. Or maybe we've been so hurt in our lives that maybe we've never experienced true love. Maybe when I say that God loves you and he wants to come into your life, you think, yeah, but my experience has always been negative when it comes to love. That's why I'm like this. 
I don't say this to criticize anyone. I'm, I'm just asking you to give God a chance. He's not like the person who hurt you. He's not like the people in your past. He's God. He'll never do anything to hurt you. So consider that. Verse 9, it says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So benefit four, salvation from God's wrath. Does God have to judge sin in the end? Yes, he does. He has no choice. He's a God of justice. He's also a God of love. But you have to determine which side, you know, which part you're going to come to. It's like the warrior who goes out and fights a righteous war against evil. And he comes home and he takes off his pack and he locks up his firearms and he takes off his vest and his little daughter comes running up to him and grabs him by the leg. That warrior who just went out and fought against evil has the capacity to love his little girl. See what I'm saying? God has to deal with sin. And I use analogies because I can do no, no better unless I follow Jesus. He used analogies. And that's how we get that in our head and it starts to stick. So God does have to judge sin. But if you've trusted in Christ, that sin's been judged on the cross when, when Jesus Christ died for your sin. So you're free, you're exonerated. That sin's been paid for. It's not like it was whitewashed. It's been paid for, but you didn't pay for it. I didn't pay for it. Jesus did. So key words here. He says not only that, much more than... The Apostle Paul's literary style is arguing from the lesser to the greater. He basically starts at a point in his, in his understanding and his teaching, and he abounds, he moves to, he emphasizes abounding improvement. So God has saved us from his righteous wrath, and now we're saved. And now we're at peace with him. How much more does he want to bless us now that there's no enmity between us anymore because of what Christ did on the cross? How much does he want to bless us? How much does he want to answer our prayers? How much does he want us to seek him in our quiet time and for him to fill us, even though the whole world is turned against us? Right? Sometimes this stuff takes a while to, to set in. Listen, I've been calloused by life too. I was a, a road cop for 25 years. I saw my first murder in my first year as a police officer and it was horrible. And I still remember it. It's 27 years later. Um, being a pastor, burying friends while everyone else is crying, I got to hold it together because that's my role. So I've, I've lived a life where it just seen pain, seen suffering, but in my quiet time, I also have to realize that God loves me. The scripture says it. Even though you don't particularly feel something in a particular day, you have to realize it. You have to see that the truth is there. Amen? Amen. And that's one of my goals. One of my goals is for someone today to receive his love. One of my goals is for a Christian who's here, whose flame is flickering, whose heart is broken, to just rekindle that with the Lord. And you know what? Every once in a while, somebody comes up to me after a sermon or sends me an email and says, you said something and I'm living it now. You know, I've, I've, it's renewed my invigoration for God and my relationship with him. I've done my job.
My job isn't to fill this place. My job isn't to turn this into a rock concert. My job is to reconcile people to God and for Christians to help them to give them that boost to rekindle with God if they've lost their way. Amen? All right. I have to do that every so often to make sure everybody's awake. It is the morning. (laughs) I'm not much of a morning person, but I love coffee. Okay, so... (laughs) Let's talk about this wrath thing again. Again, there's, and people say to me, you know, I've seen this doctrine, I've heard this, and it's, it's unfortunate. I said this in my opening. I'll, I'll do what the Apostle Paul says. So, Pastor Joe, are you saying that your way is the right way? No, I'm not. I'm saying that the Bible's the right way. Because what you have in front of all of you is a Bible. If I'm saying something off, please come and correct me. I use other scriptures up there to cross-reference. So I'm not preaching my opinion. I'm preaching what it says in the Word. And when you really look in the word, that's really where the good news is. So there's a doctrine out there that says, you know, when the Lord comes, before the Lord comes, he's going to, you know, the, the revelation judgments and stuff, and Christians are going to go through that, that wrath. Let's see. If you go into the scripture, right, Revelation 3, we're told that this hour of trial, because of sin, will come upon the whole wor- world, except for those who have, have, have trusted in Christ, we see in First Thessalonians 5 that Pastor Vinny taught not that long ago that it says God has not appointed us to suffer wrath. So how can anybody say we're going to go through this, right? The Lord's going to call us home before these things happen on the earth. We're not appointed to wrath. And I think that's key when it comes to understanding the whole rapture or the harpazo or whatever language you want to say it in. Continuing on, verse 12, the last few verses, it says, therefore, and kind of wraps it up here, just as through one man, meaning Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men and women because all sinned. For until the law, sin was, was, was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. The law hadn't come yet. It came through Moses. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him, Jesus, to come. We're going to make sense of this all. But the free gift of salvation is not like the offense, right? Sin bringing death and condemnation. For if by one man's offense many died, would be Adam, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift, look at the dichotomy, look at the bifurcation, look at the two streams, look at the parallel here. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the the free gift which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, also by one man's obedience many were made righteous. Why did Jesus, why did God have to come in the form of a man? You're reading it right now. He had to come through the line that was, that was poisoned 
through sin, through our federal head, which was Adam. So Jesus had to come in the likeness of sinful flesh. He had to come and take the form of a, a human body, fully God, fully man, to undo all this. God bless you. Or is that an amen? I'm not really sure. <laughs> but the bottom line is, some people say, well, Pastor Joe, I didn't realize Christianity was so deep. It is. That's why we study it. Because all you need to know to be saved is that Christ died for your sins and you trust him with your life and you, you, you repent of your, your self-directed ways and you, 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 know, you believe and trust in his sacrifice for your sins. A, a five-year-old can understand that. But for those of us that want more depth, we're finding out why Jesus is the only way. And that's where we are. And, you know, it's not always this, this deep. So, verse 19, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Also, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Five, the last point. Stay with me. This is a tale of two men and what they bequeathed to the human race. Adam, no benefits, not good. Jesus, righteousness. Adam brought condemnation, brought sin into the world. Jesus brought freedom. Adam brought bondage. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. If I was the first guy, I would have done the same thing as Adam. It's... it's, Free, I'm not saying exactly, but I would have done something, and you guys could all point at me. <laughs> but, um, it's just, you know, with human nature comes the choice to do evil or to do good. And sin is like a chain. It only takes one link to break for us to plummet into condemnation. Probably if we, you know, Adam, he, he still talked to God afterwards. He still had to trust in Christ for his salvation. So I'm not saying Adam's a bad guy. I bet you if we met him, he probably could show us around and tell us the genus and species of all the creations and the names for all the animals. I bet you if you sat with Adam, it would probably be a really good time on a Friday night. I don't doubt that. Adam, I read Genesis. Now, now tell me give, me, give me more. Elaborate. I'm fascinated by Genesis. So, but Adam just happened to be the first one who started that chain of events. So I'm not picking on Adam. You know what I'm saying? I'm in the same boat as him. Without Christ, I'm going to be judged for my sins too. So I just wanted to clear it up about Adam. I'm not trying to give the guy a bad name here. But he did bring sin into the world. So, <laughs> so verses 12 through 14. The spread of sin from Adam to all of mankind. Even before Moses came with the law, laws were broken. And this is proof that sin spreads to all of mankind. Everyone dies. Right? Death is a punishment for sin. I feel like I need to bring this up, and I bring it up every so often. People ask me questions like, um, well, what happens when a baby dies? The answer is the baby goes to heaven. Well, how can you say that? It's very interesting. And I, 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 I have the, first of all, because a baby sins, they scream, they throw a tantrum when they don't get their way. They're born into sin. They can't help it. But they don't have the consciousness of their God and their creation, you know, they don't have that that we have as adults. God's covered them 
Now, you might go to a denomination, which I belong to, and they said if you know, two families have babies and one baby dies, but it was baptized, it goes to heaven, and the other one wasn't, it goes to purgatory. Quite frankly, that's sick. So a baby's going to burn in flames because of something that their parents did or didn't do. Read the Bible. Jesus said to his disciples, they were all probably bragging, you know, they were probably really, really excited about what Jesus was doing. Some wanted to sit on his right hand and his left, left hand, and Jesus would oftentimes, you see this a few times in the scripture, take a child, pick them up, put them in the middle of the men, and said, in order to see the kingdom of heaven, you have to be like this little child. Could you imagine being there? You probably could have heard a pin drop. All the bragging stopped, and it's like, oh, the master, he taught us another lesson. So... Why? Because children are innocent. They don't have that capacity yet. I'll go a step further. People have asked me, my severely autistic son, right? My daughter who uh, has Down syndrome, if they don't have that capacity and they're in a childish state, even as adults, they have adult bodies, they're good. They're covered under the blood of Jesus. Amen? Even in Romans 3, we talked about the Old Testament. Well, Jesus didn't come yet. So what happened to all the Old Testament saints? Right? God, uh, he suspended the judgment until the Messiah came. And for those like Abraham who believed and trusted in God, they're saved. The Messiah covered them as well when he died for their sins. So when you read the Bible, there's purity. There's life. There's love. There's a fair system. There's no way, and, and you know, we have a really great justice system, but sometimes people are falsely accused and end up in the system, and we're like, how could that happen in America? Because there's human beings running it. In God's system, no one's ever going to say, oh, that person's in hell. How'd they end up there? That's, and we'll, we'll, let's get a petition going. They're there because they chose that place. They chose, even on their deathbed, even after all the grace that God showed them. God's system is not like our jurisprudence system. It's completely fair. So, verse 14. Adam was a type of Christ. How? They were both the first. Adam was the father of the human race. He must have had such... And I I love to do this with Punnett squares and genetics. And I love science, anatomy, and physiology. Adam must have had such a diverse genetic pool. If he had 100 children, they all would have looked different. Depending on where they settled in the world their genetics would determine based on the weather and how they would look. It's so cool, right? So Adam was the first of the human race. Jesus was also the first because Adam was the first because he brought sin into the world. He was the progenitor of sin. Jesus was the first. He was the second Adam, but the first of his kind to reverse the effects of sin. And we're going to talk about this. Verse 20, it says, The law came... Right? We get a guest appearance in this chapter from the law. The law came to expose all the way we sin. And you know what it said? That what happened was the law entered that the offense might abound. The offense increases. Why? Because you could do things wrong, but until you read the Ten Commandments and realize that's wrong, you don't know it. So all of a sudden, these sins start to abound because the law comes and people go, man, I do that, do that every day. I can't stop doing that. However, he says grace abounded much more. Now, there's, the word is in Greek is huperperisuo. It's a big multisyllable word, but the prefix in Greek is huper, which is where we get the word hyper from. So what he's saying is grace abounded much more. Grace superabounded, we could say. So basically, 
it doesn't matter. And, and I remember in my, in my teens, and my early 20s, I would only call out to God when I was in trouble. And, and I still remember, and I cringe when I think of it, I actually prayed, but it was an angry prayer. I didn't know. I didn't know God at all, folks. I wasn't a Christian. But I was hoping that he would just throw me a lifeline. I would sin, 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 and then try to see if he would help me out. And it never really worked out that well. And then I'd get mad at God. Only, it's like I was two people. Like now only being a Christian, I look back and go, now it makes sense to me. I didn't have any relationship with God. I just was using him. And he wasn't going to have it. So I don't even know where I was. Um, oh, okay. So what happens is, burning, I wrote it. See, this is why I have notes. Burning bridges with God. I burnt a lot of bridges with God. And God still, when I had trusted in Jesus, he, he forgave me of all those sins. So you could be here, you could, have, you could think, I am so far from God, I don't even know why I'm here. My coworker invited me or whatever. You haven't burned your bridges with God. You can still breathe. Your brain waves are still moving. You can receive Jesus right now. Is that somebody's brain waves that I'm hearing? What's going on? <laughs> I'll use anything. Um, <laughs> but however you sin, however you've ruined your life, Grace can superabound. It covers it. It reminds me of like kind of like a race where sin is 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 winning. It's it's taken off, and then God says, "Okay, grace," and He lifts up the gate, and grace just totally blows away sin. That's that's the love of God. There is nothing that you did that God can't undo, because Jesus died for that sin. Let's go back to the sermon title: the benefits of justification. Again, justification is not a whitewash of sin. Somebody paid that price. In our jurisprudence system, we don't have what's called double jeopardy. And neither does God. And we probably got that from the scripture. Christ already paid for your sins. He's not going to hold it against you now. You're exonerated. You're free. You got a pardon. You've been let go. And you've been showered with God's grace. Verse 20 through 21. Much more. Not only that, even so, grace superabounded. What's the benefits to that? Let's go back to the beginning peace with God, right? The world sees peace, peace as fix my circumstances. I can't stand this. I can't take it. These people are driving me crazy. I've heard all kinds of things. What God says is I'm going to give you a peace that's inside, that even when they're still bothering you, you're going to have peace. No one's going to understand it but me and you and what the scripture says. We can have glory and tribulation. Do we always get it right? We don't, but we can. We can glory in tribulation, giving God the self-control, giving God our, our control and letting him take over. A relationship with God, God's love for the undeserving sinner. God's wrath, never again. You've trusted in Christ, you will never experience God's wrath, ever. The only question remains, where are you with all of this? John three sixteen. it says, For God so loved a selected group of people, No, that's why I put that up there. God so loved the world, the sinful world, the world at enmity with him, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, anyone, anywhere, anytime, their last minute of life would believe on him, would not perish, but have eternal life. So my question to you this morning is, where are you with God? Let's pray. You've been listening to 
to every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.